Hello, this is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a very exciting episode, Rock, packed full of great information, educational and entertaining. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at Radical Rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand and hills and rings. First thing I found was a geocrystals, quartz with no clouds. The agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock with no name. Uh, we got all kinds of topics today, guys. This is probably going to be one of our longest episodes. We're going to talk about where you can find rocks, gold, sapphire, emeralds, tourmaline, star garnets. We're going to talk about the agates and rocks of Wyoming. We're going to talk about a beautiful purple-pink diamond. We're going to talk about engagement rings, a new petrified forest that was discovered, some classes that can be taken, aquatic reptile found, radioactive rocks. We're going to talk about gold and gold mining in the Rich Hill, Arizona area, and so much more, guys. So stay tuned. All right, guys. I just want to thank you for tuning into the channel uh, and going to RadicalRocks.com, scrolling down and checking out all the opportunities for social media that you can get for free. You can get connected with our communities on many different social medias. You can continue to subscribe to our podcast, liking and sharing. We appreciate that. It helps keep rockhounding alive. You can check out our YouTube videos or our blogs. All that stuff helps the channels, folks. And we do give back to Rocks and Gems. If you've been listening for a while... Um, I think this is like our 112th episode, something like that. You know that we've been doing that for many, many decades. So let's get right into it. Let's take a look at some of the interesting topics that we have to talk about today. Um, First off, there was a wonderful, beautiful pink-purple diamond known as the Sakura, and it sold for a record amount of money. That's in dailymail.co.uk, the dailymail.com, one-of-a-kind, flawless, 15.8-carat pink diamond known as the Secular, sold at auction for a record $29.3 million, sold at Christie's auction. Beautiful, beautiful diamond, one of the most, it is the most expensive purple-pink diamond that has ever sold at auction. What a beauty. You can check that out if you want, if you're a diamond fan. Now, let's talk some quick summer classes for kids. Um, This can be found at uh, T-R-O-N-L-I-N-E.com, T-N-Online.com, and it's the LCCC offers summer fun classes for kids, and um, on... This is in Pennsylvania, and they're having a thing for rocks and gems on August the 2nd through the 6th, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Animals, insects, rocks, and minerals. There is a pretty hefty price for that, 
So you might want to check that out and see if that's something you're interested. It's geared towards students age 6 through 11, held Monday through Friday. All right. A beautifully preserved herb like fossils, uh, excuse me, herb like fossil sheds new light on the evolution of flowering plants. Now, this can be found at Forbes.com, written by David Breeson, and they have this fossil cracked open, and it looks like these things are just fresh pressed flowers. They're so well preserved. They were found in China. They say that uh, they believe this is a, an evolutionary plant. I think it's just another species or subspecies. They're always quick to uh, try to say they found something really, really wonderful. Um, they say it's millions and millions of years old. But it includes seed pods, which divide into three to five sections and uh, has the flowers and the blooms and seed pods. So it is quite impressive plant fossil if you want to check that out. Another amateur fossil hunter finds a 84 million year old fossilized turtle, it says, on Vancouver Island. And this can be found at todocanada.ca. And you can read about this turtle. They don't really tell you how big it is, but in the picture it looks like it's about a foot long. They think it might be a new species. They're not sure. Maybe, could be. They are going to uh, check this out. It was found in uh, Canada at, um, and is being looked at by the Royal British Columbian Museum um, to see if this is a different species. They do believe it is a sea turtle, a Vancouver Island, Punt Ledge River is where it was found. So you can check that out if you want to find out more about that. Um, hikers in Israel find the remains of an extinct aquatic reptile. They say it's 70 million years old. You can find that at bignewsnetwork.com. It was written by uh, Zinha. That's X-I-N-H-U-A, Hunna, however you pronounce that. They've got a picture of it here. It's quite impressive. It looks like a dolphin with a giant tail and a crocodile mouth. They say it is a reptile that lived in the sea. Uh, many, many years ago, it was found in Israel near the Dead Sea, and they are examining this now, and uh, they're going to actually put a a um, replica where they take the original one from, and then they will take the original one and study that for quite a while. So that is always interesting, our friends in Israel discovering that. Now, Idaho is a great place for gems and minerals. If you go to Boise dev.com uh, Anna Daly Gamboa wrote about the beautiful gemstone the star um, garnets that you can find the one on the picture here has five really defined stars uh, points on the star and another one that's kind of faint so it is a six pointed star Beautiful, set in a large ring. It is a big cabochon shape to highlight the star on this beautiful deep purple red um, garnet. This can be found um, how Lucky Peak got its name, where miners struck gold outside of Boise. They also found more than potatoes uh, when they were looking in the ground. They found out 
that there was many, many gems here. There's more than 72 types of precious and semi-precious gemstones found in every corner of Idaho. Idaho is known as the gem state. It is has the largest variety of gems second to Africa, according to um, one source here. It has garnets, jasper, opal, sapphire, jade, obsidian, and the list goes on. Over 240 different types of minerals make for the perfect recipe of every gem to form in Idaho's mountains. A legislator adopted the purple-hued gem, the star garnet, as its iconic state gemstone in 1967. If you go to this area, the Emerald Creek, there are several areas where you can pay to dig the star garnets if you want to find your own. The Emerald Creek Garnet area is near Hayden, California, it says, and you can call for reservations. They have campgrounds and you can find them. And there's links here on this website if you want to go do that. So definitely go check that out. I know I'm going to. And I'll do a, a video on it too because it's going to be pretty cool. Now in the article iverse.com, inverse, it says this popular gemstone is a crystal ball for the earth. Um, they go through and they talk about the mineral zircon. And uh, it's an interesting article. I don't really buy into a lot of this stuff. As you know, if you've been listening to me, I think a lot of it is um, hypothetical and very, very hard to prove. Uh, but whatever uh, floats your, your uh, pumice. You can look at zircon here and they explain these time clocks within the zircon crystal. Of course, they have no way to confirm this, but they do know that if they have a certain... Um, ring to them when they test these by what the layers that build up on this zircon are, then this helps them to gauge the age of the zircon. So they say it's a lot like tree rings because zircon, um, as it is in the atmosphere or in space or whatever, elements form on the zircon, silicon, oxygen, they crystallize uh, magma or metamorphic rock. The repeated heating and cooling adds layers to the outside of the crystals like layers of paint and atoms of a handful of elements such as uranium are similar enough to zircon atoms that they can take their place within the crystal structure. These atoms are radioactive and will slowly convert into other elements such as lead through the predictable process, they say predictable, process of radioactive decay, which there's been many studies shown that that is not 100% at all, not even close. But regardless, they show how this process works and how this is studied, and um, it is interesting to find out about it. They use this um, zircon to say how they can gauge the age of the planets because when they look at uh, what they feel is meteorites and things like this, samples that have come back from meteorites, they look at the zircon now and try to age it uh, as to how old it is. They use it to link the age of the continents and when they came up out of the waters, um, they also try to link a way that they believe it shows the earliest signs of life because of carbon ratios that are also absorbed into the stone that they can gauge. But as you find out how they do that, 
Um, they do look through thousands and thousands and thousands of these minute particles of zircon, basically through you know super magnifying, um, to figure out which one they're going to use to try to age it. So it sounds like pretty selective. Um, they have to be pretty selective in the way they pick this. So all zircons are not um, created equal when it comes to these layering process that is supposed to be so doggone reliable. Anyway, take that with a grain of zircon. Now, another young lady in Tennessee, this girl in East Tennessee, she discovered a rare fossil. Newsweek.com by Caroline Teen found, uh, wrote on the article about this young girl in Tennessee, she was walking along this uh, lake or riverside here, and she found something on a rock, just right there. And when she saw it, she found what is really a trilobite. Now, trilobites aren't really so rare um, to find, and you usually find a casting of their shell. You don't find the whole animal. There's pieces missing and such. But she was very fortunate to not just find the casting, but to find all the pieces and all the parts of the trilobite. So this is a very rare find um, to have, have found and um, is very notable, and that's why it's made it into the, um, the news. I'm trying to figure out what creek it was she pulled it out of here. Um, see if I can find it here. While walking through the Mulcombe River washshed. Oh, she was visiting actually California. Okay, so she came from Tennessee, but she found it in California. All right, I missed that when I read it. I thought it was just Tennessee. So she found this in California. All right, well, there you go. Now, 26 unique engagement rings and wedding rings for 2021. Um, I thought we'd go over this just real quick. It's in uh, NBCnews.com. Excuse me while I get some coffee. It says move over diamonds. Powerhouse gemstones like emerald, morganite, aquamarine are dominating the bridal jewelry market. But it's bleeding over not to just bridal market, but also wedding gemstones. It's written by Jennifer Benure, and uh, she writes quite a, a lengthy article, I would say, about how to pick the gemstone, you know, looking at the hardness, looking at these different points. She talks about the best diamond rings. Um, she talks about the sizes of them and the styles. She talks about lab created. Um, those are definitely a choice. She talks about emeralds. Now, emeralds, you know, they uh, do chip easy, so be careful, but they are beautiful. I mean, definitely something worth having. Sapphire is another one. It's gaining popularity in as a marriage ring and also an engagement ring. Sapphires, gorgeous blue. Also, rubies, quite popular. Rubies um, are, were kind of an old school type gemstone that was very popular around the turn of the century, now making a comeback. Um, and turquoise, always popular, ever popular turquoise since the time of uh, the original Native Americans, all the way back to the times of uh, Israel, Egypt, and uh, Persia, and things like this, ancient early man in Medio Persia, in the Mesopotamia, rather. Beautiful turquoise, very popular. Topaz rings are quite popular. Um, the pear shape is, is quite popular too with a brown reddish hue, um, very, very popular, especially these gemstones when encircled with some diamonds, quite popular. 
um, Mosinite rings. Um, Mosinite is a lab created. Um, it's as hard as a diamond. It's beautiful. It does give beautiful spectrums of the light. So a lot of color play, very pretty. Hard to tell for um, the untrained eye to tell any difference from um, diamonds. Pearls are, of course, organic. Those are quite popular as wedding rings and engagement rings. Opals, which used to be kind of a bad luck gem. You would never want to give that as an engagement ring or a um, wedding ring, but yet they are being uh, more popular. Also aquamarine, beautiful, calming. Pink morganite rings are very popular as an engagement ring, but some have even included these as a wedding ring with some good-sized diamonds usually coupled with them. Amethyst, very affordable, but uh, great for an engagement ring for someone uh, maybe not of as much means or to give to that person that just loves the royal color of purple. So those are some of the accepted and kind of uh, more unique gemstone engagement and wedding rings that are making it into mainstream. Now, if you want to go gem hunting, here are the road trip destinations for Diamonds in the Rough. We've talked about a few of these places before. This is written by Kate Marchando, and you can find it at thetravel.com. Just look up gemstone hunting. These road trip destinations are Diamonds in the Rough, and she goes in uh, place by place to show you where to get these gemstones. Um, first one, of course, we always talk about is Crater of the Diamond State Park in Arkansas. Uh, few and far between, but if you spend a few days there, you might be able to find a gemstone. And some of these diamonds that are found there are worth millions of dollars. So it could be worth your trip. Also, if you want to go to North Carolina, the Hallow Mine or hollow mine, emerald hollow mine in North Carolina in Hiddenite, you can find a place with emeralds, uh, kyanite, rose quartz, amethyst, uh, all sorts of gemstones can be found. There are a whole list of them. And uh, most of these places do have a fee to go in, but there's a you can find the things that you keep. There may be a limit to how many buckets you can take out and such. You'll have to get in contact with each place to find out all the details. But this place at the Emerald Hollow Mine is highly touted as one of the most uh, unique gemstone mining locations in the country. Cherokee Ruby and Sapphire Mine in North Carolina. Hey, while you're out there in North Carolina, you might as well go to this place too, right? It's in Franklin County. Beautiful gemstones can be dug there. Um, depending on how hard you want to work and find, is depending on what you'll find. You might find something there. There's rubies, sapphires. Uh, they are some of the most precious gemstones in the entire world. So you definitely want to dig a lot so that you can hopefully find them. Montana, this is the time of the year. It's starting to warm up in Montana. There's a lot of snow there when it warms up. You can go to Jim Mountain and find some of the most beautiful dark blue sapphires that I think I've ever seen in the world. I think these are world-class gemstones when you find a good one. Of course, a lot of them are not you know, super good, but uh, after you get quite a few of them, you will be able to pick out the gem ones of the bunch. And this is a great place to go. Gold prospecting in California. A lot of places where you can go gold prospecting. If you look up, uh, you know, pay to gold mine places, you will probably turn up Jamestown. Jamestown is one of the gold 
rush towns of the 49ers. If you're not familiar with the 49ers, that's the gold rush of uh, Northern California. You can find little flakes and pieces of gold there and go mining. There are several creeks that are open to gold mining that uh, for the public that you can check out if that's something you're interested in in many different states. Or you can join the Gold Prospecting Association uh, of America and they, for a small fee, will let you join their club and um, and then for a little bit more you can actually go on several claims that they keep and go gold mine and keep all the gold you find which is pretty cool. Now in East Texas they've got a gem and mineral show. It's written by Jamie Boyum and that's at uh, www.kltv.com. You can go there and find out about this gem show. Quite a gem show there. Uh, lots of rocks. They have uh, probably an auction there. They have uh, jewelry and everything else. I think that's this coming week, so you'll want to check that out right away. That is going to be East Texas Gym and Mineral and Rock Show and the town. I know it was here at the East Texas Fairgrounds. At It's called the Tyler Gym and Mineral Show, so you'll want to go check that out while you have a chance. All right, let's see. Rock of Ages. Um, in Comstock's magazine at comstocksmag.com, there's a little article there on Rock of Ages highlighting a nice little gemstone store called Vacaville's Consolidated Rock and Mineral Shop. A nice little plug there for these folks. They've got quite a bit of gemstones, rocks, minerals, uh, Amazon uh, cathedrals and things like that. Of course, we're not getting sponsored by any of this, but we like to promote those that are promoting rock hounding. You can read about that if you're in that area of uh, uh, Vacaville, that's in California. You can check out that gemstone and mineral store. All right. Um, hmm, there was a DYI on collecting radioactive. Okay, here we are. At atlasobscura.com it's a-t-l-a-s-o-b-s-c-u-r-a.com there is an article here on collecting these radioactive rocks it says a DIY guide to collecting radioactive rocks gets glowing reviews the free how-to dispels the myths and minimizes the hazards of hunting and hoarding these Special Specimens by Sarah Scolies. It was written on May the 20th. Now, if you want to take the time to read this article, I recommend you look it up. Um, she has some stunning pictures. We've talked about this um, in the past, but there's some beautiful, stunning pictures of this yellow, beautiful radioactive rock. Um, it tells you how to check, how to collect them, where to go, how to store them. Um, you can find, you can buy samples, how to store, store them and collect them. I'm trying to see what this is called. I can't even read this word. Uraniophane from the German site of Minzinskiewanda in Baden-Württemberg. So there's one. Uh, there's several other pictures of these arsenal, arsenic type. Uh, Arsnirasepat. Oh my goodness. From Germany's Black Forest region. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. These are tough ones. Radioactive minerals. 
often explore partially collapsed tunnels left to find treasures. Oh, it says, excuse me, radioactive mineral collectors often explore partially collapsed tunnels to find treasures such as this piece of uranianite on calcite, courtesy of the Arizona Explorations and courtesy of Aaron Van Alstein. So you don't want to go into collapsed mines. That's that's dangerous. I would not do that. That would be very, very stupid. People die that way all the time. Um, you need to wear gloves. Uh, don't lick the rocks. Don't breathe the dust. Um, don't put the samples on anything that you want to eat. Um, beautiful samples here. Check that out. They are stunning. The yellows and greens and different colors. Let's see. Jim Hunter's Guide to Agates and Jasper in Wyoming. Agates, Jasper, Quartz, Chalcedony, all in Wyoming. You go to wyquartz.blogspot.com and he has a wonderful blog here. And I imagine if you look up Wyoming uh, Quartz, it might come up. Okay, But it's wyquartz.com. Q-U-A-R-T-Z dot blogspot dot com. He's got a great article here on the many different varieties of jaspers and rocks. He's got a variety of his collection here. He's got some close-ups of Wiggins Fork Fossil Wood. Uh, beautiful, multicolored here with some, looks like grayish green, oranges, reds, yellows, and white. Uh, there's petrified wood, quartz, and chalcedony. He gives the locations of where these are found, what mountain ranges, what valleys, what sections. You definitely want to check out this article. Um, there's a picture of the gentleman there, Jim Hunter Wayne Sutherland, in the field, uh, out there collecting rocks, discovering minerals of my Wyoming, and um, also, Ray Harris, which has passed away, it says here, he's in the picture, out getting uranium-rich uh, samples, apparently, in the field. Quite some beautiful pictures. Also, you want to see the Sweetwater Moss Agate from the Cedar Rim Opal Field near Riverton. Uh, he's got a whole write-up on that. He's got a write-up on the Granite Mountains. The Granite Mountains, by the way, are where jade is found, but there's not just jade. There's agates, jaspers petrified wood, even rubies and sapphires have been found there, but most notably is that sweet water moss agate. Very hard to get. Um, you can only find small pebbles and stuff of it for the most part nowadays. It also, this particular beautiful agate, does fluorescent a brilliant yellow due to the presence of this uranium that's in the area. So you want to check that out. Um, Banded Tin Cup Jasper. The Tin Cup, Cup District um, has, outside of probably um, the Caddy Mountains, some of the most beautiful um, banded and bracaded jaspers with blood red, chocolate brown, butterscotch yellow, brown jasper occurring uh, in the area that you can dig up. Really pretty, really pretty stuff. You got to check it out. Um, what else? There's blue forest agate. There's um, jasperoid cabochon from the quaking Aspen Mountain. This looks like a pis uh, picture jasper. Um, all these areas are broke up. He's even got the township, the range locations that you can find um, some of these areas. 
I'm not going to read the guy's whole blog. You need to go check it out. It's uh, wyquartz.blogspot.com. I really recommend you go check this out. The guy's got a really good write-up. He's got some breakated jasper here, some more of it from the tin cup area. It's more kind of plain, kind of red. It's a beautiful green jade from the from the um, Granite Mountains um, pictured here. More of the Sweetwater Agate. That that would be nice to have in the collection for sure. Man, I mean, we could spend a couple hours on this information here about the Tin Cup Mountains, the Granite Mountains, the Crook Mountain area, the Great Divine, uh, Greater Green River Basin. Um, just goes on and on. Some Blue Forest Agate here. It looks like a fossilized limb cast to me. Cal uh, wow. Some Garnet, some Dopsite, Chromium. Um, even diamonds have been found in the Cedar Mountain area, apparently. Wow, you got to check this out. Uh, more of the Jasperoid, they're calling it. Looks like a pitcher Jasper in the Quaking Ass Mountain area. He gives you the, the section, the township, the range where this can be found. Uh, Whiskey Basin just goes on and on. There's another beautiful rite called uh, Young Youngite from Hartville, which is kind of a, a brocaded brownish jasper with this bluish agate that has filled in the brocaded sections. And uh, he talks, man, there's just so many areas here, folks. This is really amazing. You got to check it out. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah, definitely check this out. A great blog. I'm going to tell it to you again because this is really worth going to. If you're going to go to Wyoming um, and you want some locations to start with, wyquartz.blogspot.com. Check out that guy's site, man. That is really nice. All right, now, Rockin' Jim Magazine. Um, they send out the email. I talk about it all the time. There's uh, links you can click on. You can click on there too. Rock, the letter N, Jim.com. It's called RNG Revisited Finding Favor with Cerulite. It's C E R U L E I T E. Um, it is a multicolored gemstone. Um, C E R U L E I T E. Um, it has blues. Reds, oranges, yellows. Uh, this article is written by our friend Bob Jones. This guy has written so many articles. Such a wonderful asset to rock and gym um, genre. Now, he loves blue gems. Living in Arizona makes him prejudice, he says. He's attracted to malachite, azurite, chrysocolla, and turquoise. All... Uh, all of those things he loves. But he recently went to a area to see what Bruce Alsup from Wyndon, Arizona said is a new copper gem, and it's a beauty. He calls it Cerulite. Cerulite. And it is a beautiful gem, like I said, with these blues. It's a hydrated arsenate of copper and aluminum that occurs in massive appearing aggregates of rod-like crystals, not unlike massive compact malachite. The 
aggregates show no crystallization being so compact as to be a solid mass suitable for cutting and polishing. The results are excellent, giving a wonderful alternative to turquoise and chrysocolla for a blue gem. Cerulite is aptly named for the word cerulean, which means azure, not azure blue of azurite, but the blue of the marvelous spring sky. Uh, found in abundance, it would be an immediate bestseller on the gym market today, competing favorably with turquoise. However, it is very rare, and the gym market will not feel an impact because there's just not that much of it. Um, so, um, yeah, it's probably going to be fairly pricey if you can get a hold of it. Um, it says it doesn't present any major problems or hazards for lapidary work. It's a little bit like turquoise, so some care is needed. You don't want to get it too hot. Um, you need to polish it kind of slowly. Hardness is about six. Um, and then finish it off with some Zam. If you're familiar with Zam, it's a polishing compound. And um, then you've got a beautiful gemstone. It says uh, the newest find... Uh, which was in 1976, was around 25 pounds. So there's not much of this stuff. Um, I would imagine if you wanted some, you would be spending a few hundred dollars just for a tiny piece. But um, they did find some in southern Bolivia and in uh, Chile. So it might turn up from time to time. You might want to write the name of this stone down and keep your eye open to see if it does pop up on the market. All right, guys. Um, for those of you that have hung in with me, I want to thank you. Please share this channel. Please share it on your social media group and um, let them know about our social media especially about our podcast and our videos. We're really getting close to being monetized, which would help us to um, grow the channel and do a better job, get better equipment, things like that. So, And also, you know, we give back to the community. We do volunteer things where we give kids and we give lessons to young people and community centers. We've been doing this for years and years and years, going into schools, going into clubs um, and groups. Um, and doing these community outreaches um, to keep rock hounding alive. So if you could be a part of that, we'd appreciate it. So we're going to talk about Rich Hill, the history of Arizona's most amazing gold district by M. Catherine Comby, Ph.D., Chris T. Golson, Bachelor of Science, Danette S. Loretta, Ph.D., Eric B. Malclory, Ph.D. Now we've gone through this book um, the last several, several episodes and today is an especially long episode. By the way, um, next week, we will not be putting out our article until Tuesday or Wednesday evening. And that's probably going to be ongoing. Um, we're going to shoot for Tuesdays. If we anticipate Tuesday as being a bad day, then we will move it to either Monday or Wednesday to keep our once a week podcast going. Um, we do try to get one video out a month. Although um, it has been quite difficult with my other obligations and, and responsibilities to my family, my job, and uh, community things that we're involved in. So it's been tough, but we do appreciate that. So let's talk, talk about Rich Hill. Uh, Rich Hill, if you've been with us, 
That is a super amazing gold area. The original finding on Rich Hill was called the Potato Patch because the gold nuggets were as big as potatoes. Um, one of the richest areas um, around. Now, if you get this book and you go to page 153, there's a picture of the Lossman, uh, Lost Dutchman's Mine um, Association. And there used to be... Um, the Lost Dutchman Mining Club, which had a mining claim in Staten, Arizona, that was very good, um, very good area to go for people to use metal detectors and such. So you can still go to this area, and uh, if you're part of the club, and you can you can prospect there. I don't know how many areas are open. But if you go in the general area and you find areas that are not marked, there might be a few. I'd be careful, but you could theoretically go through any areas that are not clearly marked as a mine and um, use a metal detector or a dry shaker um, and look for gold. Or you could go below these areas where there might not be so many claims and you might be able to find something there too because gold can travel quite a ways. So there are prospecting trips here for this book. Um, that tell you um, about finding large gold nuggets in cracks and crevices beneath granite boulders, through drainage channels, um, among tail, uh, the old tailings from the old timers that did the, the hand crank dry shakers. Um, it does take a skill to determine a new tailing pile from an old tailing pile, but I would say the older the tailing pile... Um, the better it would be. So if you see a mound of dirt um, that looks a little out of place and uh, is well grown in with desert plants, this could be one of the older tailing piles from 50, 75, maybe hopefully longer, even 100 years ago, where you might have a good chance of finding something that the old timers missed. Um, especially if you can get close to the Gold Hill area, which I'm sure you probably can't, but if you could, you got to remember that some of the gold in this area is going to be black because of the desert varnish. So it might not stand out by, you know, the human eye as being a nice, bright, shiny nugget. Um, it could have this desert varnish on it that would make it black. and uh, Or it could be inside of some rock. Um, you see quartz. Quartz can be very stained. It can also be varnished by the desert sun. Um, a gold um, metal detector um, will help you determine if there is some potential values in these rocks. So if you get a good signal, you can do that. Now, one of the ways I used to do with my metal detector is um, I used to use a mineral lab. They're They've always been kind of the best for gold mining. And when you're nugget shooting, typically you use a smaller coil because it goes deeper. And um, you can tune your detector to tune out hot rocks. So you got to find hot rocks. Hot rocks are rocks that are highly mineralized. Uh, once you're in the area, locate a hot rock and chip a piece out um, big enough to carry in your pocket or whatnot. And you will tune that out. And then what I do is I take a... a a little nugget about oh an eighth of an inch size nugget and I glue it to a poker chip and I make sure that once I've tuned out the um, the hot rock 
the highly mineralized rock or hot rock. Then I swing it over to the poker chip because I don't want to drop my nugget in the sand and lose it. It's glued to this poker chip so I can keep it. And then I see, I hear the gold signal, right? So I didn't tune out. I tuned out mineralization of like ferrous metals, like irons and things like that. But I'm still getting the non-ferrous metals like gold, silver, uh, copper, things like that are still going to pop up and, and be a signal that I hit. So that helps. That helps so you're not digging down and just digging up a rock, an iron, uh, you know, a rock filled with iron, which can be pretty plentiful in these areas. That's one tip for prospecting that I would offer you. That's uh, my personal tip. Um, you can look for these dry shaker uh, tailings. Now, guys can go in there even today. You know, if you see somebody has... Uh, been digging high on a hill in an area where nuggets have been found, then, uh, you know, sometimes this gravel that they break up is very glued together, you know, with the caliche and the dirt, and they'll screen out maybe a big nugget that didn't go through their dry shaker because they classify this material. A dry shaker doesn't work good with, um, you know, big rocks. It usually will screen down under a half inch. So, theoretically... Anything that doesn't fit through that, uh, maybe a half inch or bigger, even a nugget, they could have screened it through there and missed it if they didn't run a metal detector over their tailings. So you would go over this tailing pile and um, uh, with your metal detector and uh, check and see if they maybe left a nugget or even a piece of uh, stained quartz that has some free gold in it. Um, that could be a great way of finding gold. You've had somebody here who'd already concentrated a pile for you and even classified it by sorting it. Mine dumps are okay. Um, it needs to be a, a very old mine dump, though, because uh, the old timers did. Um, you know, if you can get a pre, if you get a, a an 1800s mine, um, the tailings, and you could tell there's there's a whole. Uh, there's a whole study on how to tell how old a mine is just based on the way they dug the tunnels and stuff like that. But um, the tunnels with the rounded um, tops and um, usually not as much shoring, um, they're narrow. A lot of times that's an indication of the earlier mines from like 1880 and before. And uh, those tailings can be quite good to look through. All right, uh, they talk about the Weaver District. They go into Appendix A on dry washers and dry washing techniques. Um, there's some pictures of a couple different types of dry shakers here, the bellows type and the blower type. So basically what you have here is you throw your dirt up into a classifier that has the screen, usually screens it down to about a half inch or so. And then the finer material slides down into the next compartment, which has a cloth with riffles and um, as the dirt goes down and slides down this uh, angled board here the bellows are pumping up and down air blowing it up through the cloth and it's kind of like uh, winnowing if you're familiar with winnowing the old timers uh, back in bible days and such would take the wheat it would roll over it or they would even uh, get a board and put a kid on it and then drag the kid around all the wheat, which would crack the holes of the wheat, the little shells that are over the wheat. And then um, women and other folks would take um, 
something that they had made, you know, uh, weaved out of sticks or whatever and made kind of a, a stiff uh, thing. Or they'd use baskets, gathered into baskets, and they'd throw it up in the air and the breeze would catch what they called the chaff, the shells, and blow that away. And then they would be left with the clean wheat uh, there to eat. So in the same way, the bellows of a dry shaker blows up the lighter material so that it blows over and down with the gravity to the next level um, and slides down over those riffles where the gold is heavier, stays down at the bottom and is trapped in those riffles, um, hopefully among the top riffles of the dry shaker. Uh, also, there's a blower type that uses a blower. Typically, there's where the blower blows in the bottom of the dry shaker. There's a fan that has a weight on it that kind of uh, makes it bounce. So you need a bouncing uh, action to go along with the blowing. The bouncing action along with the air, the bounce helps keep pushing the gold down. The gravity helps the gold go down, helps the lighter materials go up to the top. So the bouncing and the blowing. They also go into Appendix B. Uh, into metal detecting. Uh, I would say if you're going to use that dry shaker, you know, um, definitely bring a metal detector with you, even if it's just a cheap one, and go over those big rocks ever so often with your metal detector or pull, the, pull your dry shaker out of the way and spread those rocks out and go through them with your metal detector. Make sure you didn't, you know, leave something of value there. But they go into choosing the right metal detector. Um, they tell you what you need, they talk about the modes, they talk about your budget, um, they talk about ground balancing, that's what I was talking about kind of, that hot rock. Um, if there's a lot of mineralization in the ground, you do need to kind of tune that out. Um, and there's a whole process for doing that. It's really good if you can go with somebody who knows how to do it, but just remember my technique. You get a hot rock and you get a gold, uh, small gold little plinker, glue it to a poker chip where it will not come off. And that is probably one of the best ways I know of to tune your gold detector for finding nuggets. Um, they talk about coil control. Um, I'm not going to read all this. They do talk about hot rocks here. Um, it says here, occasionally rocks like mineralized soil can produce false signals. Detectors call these stones hot rocks. Certain types of rocks contain more or less iron than the surrounding soil and will cause a metal detector to sound off. Now, typically, if you have a really hot area, you can get them where when they go over a hot rock, it'll kind of go, okay? But when you hit a gold target, it'll go, beep. it'll bleep. It'll, it'll do more of a bleep. So if you get a real bad hot rock, you're not going to tune them out completely. You're going to tune them where they just kind of go, they're going to make this kind of sound that's just not so lively. And when you hit the gold again, it's going to be more of a meep. You know, it's going to kind of beep like that, right? So practice with the hot rock and with the poker chip in your yard. Uh, learn how to balance the, uh, usually they used to call it the SAT setting um, or the ground balancing setting, whatever they call it nowadays. And learn how to tune out that uh, hot rock and soil a bit. Um, you will have to recalibrate it from time to time or if you hit an especially big hot rock um, or if you have a really deep deep nugget it can kind of sound like a hot rock. So there's kind of a trade-off in it and you'll just have to try it and practice until you find your technique that works for you. Um, if you find that you can find um, 
you know, small pieces of lead and maybe like a zipper, you know, brass, uh, one little single piece of a zipper. If you can start finding stuff like that uh, under a couple inches of soil, I think you're going to do pretty good. Um, you are going to dig trash. Um, some people keep magnets. I like to use a plastic screen because that way I can throw something in the screen, go over it with a metal detector. Um, if you have a metal digging device, you know, that can give you false signals and it can be a pain to keep it away from you. So keep that in mind. Some people use only a plastic digging spoon. Uh, I like the thing. It looks kind of like a, it kind of looks like a prospector's hammer, but it, it's just a little, it's got a scraper on one side and it's got kind of a scoop spade on the other, kind of like a, like a ax turned the other way. And usually the good ones for prospectors have a magnet in the handle, which is good because you can pull out uh, mineralized items with that magnet and save yourself a little bit of time. So those are some of the tips. Um, I'm sure they talk about them all here. They talk about, um, you know, marking your area, digging a target. Um, they go into some good detail here. They talk about big giant um, coils, little coils, and so on and so forth. So you can check all that out. Um, let's see what else they have here. They talk about desert survival, um, getting lost. They have a lot of good... Uh, um, information on land use and regulation. They talk about the separate mines here. They got the War Eagle mine, the Myers mine, different mines they talk about here, the Beehive mine, the Hayden mine, the Loretta mine, the Yarnell mine, the Yellow Jacket, the Last Chance mine, the Golden Goose mine, the End, E-N-D, Pendants mine, the Mesa Grande mine, the Red Metal mine, the Melpa Eagle mines, the Lucky uh, Johnny and Katie Mine, Helen Morris Mine, the Jerome Mine, Gray Fox Mine, the Pyramid Project, and more. They do give you the information for the Lost Dutchman Mining Association here. We talked about that earlier. They've got a claim out there, or they used to have a claim out there in Staten, Arizona, about 120 acres, that uh, if you do join that club, it is kind of pricey, but if you join the Gold Prospectors Association of America, the GPAA, usually once a year, they will have an invite to go on some of the Lost Dutchman um, properties and claims. Um, there may be a small fee. I would say it would be worth it to go. There's also the Run uh, Roadrunner Prospector Club, Arizona Association of Gold Prospectors, Mesa Gold Diggers and Prospect, all kinds of prospecting clubs here. Uh, Rich Hill Gold Hunters, and more suggested reading all kinds of great things in this book this concludes our i don't know six week review of rich hill the amazing history of arizona's gold district check it out if you're a gold bug you want a copy of that book guys that is it this is probably my longest podcast i will ever have uh at least for the time being Stay tuned next week. We will find more interesting and educational and entertaining articles and information to share with you. Remember, rockhounds don't die. They petrify.